I just want to give special props and uh, a blessing over the, the choir. You all have been a blessing to us. All of our music ministries, our musicians, choirs and ensembles, just fabulous, fabulous. Be joyful before God, they sing. Let joy fill all of your days. There are so many things that bring us joy, right? What are some of them? Mojo Johnson. Mojo Johnston. <laughs> Mojo! <laughs> what else brings us joy? What brings you joy? What's that? The dolphins? Is that what I heard? The dolphins? <laughs> oh, a Texans win today would bring you much joy, right? And so would getting out in time so you could see the game, I bet, huh? Keep praying, brother. Keep praying. Keep praying. <laughs> There are so many things that bring us lots of joy. For some, it's newborn babies. Other, it's a new job. For some, it's our partner, the love of our life. For some of us, it's just family, life, coming to church on a Sunday. For others, it's just God is the joy of our life. Now, let me ask you, does coming to church and being asked to give your money, does that bring you joy in your life? Well, show it, clap, do something, get excited, huh? Goodness. Don't let the pot of fake money fool you. We can fill this up with real money if you really want to. But I would challenge you that when the offering uh, comes around, um, if you feel like clapping, I dare you. Be joyful, be cheerful, and let's see what happens. Will you pray with me? God, this morning we are thankful to be in your presence. In thanksgiving, and it is with joy, God, that we come now to receive from your spirit. You have been a blessing in our lives for many years. You knew us before creation, God. And now we are here to receive more of your blessings. But even more, we are here to be a blessing, not just to you, but to one another. And so, God, we open our hearts to hear from you. Speak to us. Spirit, speak to us. And all the people said, Amen. Mark Feldmeyer, a colleague in ministry in the United Methodist Church, talks about how uncomfortable it is for so many people to hear and just experience discussions of money in church. Everyone just holds their breath, he says. Is that what you do? Do you hold your breath when you talk about money? Do you hold your breath? Do you roll your eyes? Or do you, when we talk about money, do you get up and go to the restroom and come back at communion time? <laughs> I've done it a time or two in my life. I know I'm not the only one. But being asked for money puts us in a hot seat sometimes. It makes people very uncomfortable. When I first moved to Boston, I was on my way to class in grad school, and a homeless gentleman came running up to me and said, Hey, man, you got an extra 20? What? I stood there for a few seconds, this really happened. And I said, you know, most people that, that come up and ask for bus fare, spare change, but a spare, an extra 20, really? I said, you must have some good lines. He said, oh, so then I left an opening and he took it. And he says, my brother, what's the best nation in the world? I said, well, this is the USA, so I guess most people would say the good old US of A. He says, no, brother. There ain't no nation like a donation. <laughs> uh, and a 
A few minutes later, I was in class with 20 less dollars in my wallet. <laughs> you got to give it where it's due, you know. How many of you have brought your wallets and purses to church this morning? Oh, amen. Yeah, you brought your purse? You brought your purse. All right. Well, don't get nervous. I'm not going to ask you for an extra 20 or two, but just for, I don't know, for fun. What if I did ask you? to think about putting a little extra in the offering plate when it comes around. What if there was a little incentive for you all? There's the story of a smaller church pastor who one Sunday told his congregation that the church needed some extra money for some repairs. And so he asked the people to prayerfully consider giving just a little extra when the plate came around. And he said that whoever gave the most would be able to pick out three hymns for a service. Ooh, three hymns, their choice, getting good. Well, after the offering plates were passed, the pastor glanced down and noticed that someone had placed a $1,000 check in the offering. Now, this was a small church. This doesn't happen hardly ever. And so he saw it. He got excited, and he wanted to share his joy with the congregation. And so he wanted to personally thank the person who put that check in the offering plates. And so there sat a woman named Rosie all the way in the back, and she shyly raised her hand. The pastor asked her to come front. And slowly as she made her way towards the front, he told her how wonderful it was that she gave so much. And as his part of the deal was, she was now to pick out three hymns. And so she's on, on the chancel, and she gets very excited. Her eyes just brighten up, and she looks out to the congregation, and she points to the three most handsome men out there, and she says, I'll take him, I'll take him, and I'll take him. Right over here. I bet some of you would love an incentive like that, right? Oh, your wallets would be empty. You might give everything you have. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I thought I knew you, sister. All right. <laughs> well, what if? What about if, if there wasn't any incentive? Really, how many of us would give away everything we own, all of our assets, while we're still alive, I'm talking about? While you're still alive, would you ever think of being so extravagantly generous to give all of your money away? Well, I'm willing to bet that of all the things that you would do with your money, you probably wouldn't give it all away, maybe some, a small portion of it. But if you gave it all away, you'd be a fool. You'd be a fool and a half. You'd be crazy. Why would we give up something so important we're talking about our hard-earned money. We're talking about uh, our security. We're talking about something that contributes so much to the foundation of our lives, or so we think. Money makes us feel so comfortable and secure, and the very prospect of wanting to give it up, oh, that makes us just a little too uncomfortable. Now, lest you think that we're going to ask you to give up all of your money this morning, you can relax a little bit. You can breathe. You have no worries because if I asked you or if I told you that Jesus wanted you to give all your money, you probably would not come back here and we do not want that to happen. But what we are talking about is much bigger than dollar bills. It's much bigger than the Benjamins that are in your wallets. What we're talking about is what the writer of 1 Timothy is talking about. 
It's what Robert Schnazy is referring to in our first reading. What we are talking about this morning is our very inner disposition, our motivations, the hearts. People of God, do you place your hope and your heart in the uncertainty of this world's riches or the certainty of God's unlimited supply? The difference is a true life, the writer says, the life that really is life. First Timothy says, to those who have been blessed with riches, to the rich, those with extravagant income, with resources beyond your needs, the writer says, enjoy it. Because God provides everything for our enjoyment. That's good news, huh? Oh, wealth is meant to be enjoyed. Those nice shoes are meant to be enjoyed. That nice purse is meant to be enjoyed. But the writer goes on. Be careful that you do not lose sight of where your hope lies. You see, because it is so tempting to place our security and hope and riches... Today's scripture says that those who have been blessed with extravagant income, those with extravagant wealth, are to remember to do good, to look for every opportunity to share their blessings, to share their wealth with the community, being extravagantly generous for the common good. Now, lest you think that scripture is pointing its holy finger at the top 1% of our society, think again. You see, when compared to the rest of the world, we Americans, we Westerners, anyone who has at least a couple thousand dollars in assets, we are well in the top 50% of our global society in terms of wealth. In fact, if you have around $60,000 in assets, did you know that you are in the top 10% of global society? When compared to other nations in our world, we always say we are the richest. And so, people of God, our scripture is not speaking to the top 1%. Our scripture is speaking to every single one of us in this room. No one is off the hook. And so, we are all to be rich in good works, extravagantly generous, because in doing so, we are creating a good foundation for life. Now, we all have something to give, and we are simply not talking about pots of money. We're talking about giving our very hearts. You see, extravagant generosity ultimately flows from the heart and into community, into God's vision, and into our future. This past week, we as a church uh, started reading a daily devotional, practicing extravagant generosity, daily readings on the grace of giving by Robert Schnazy. And if you have not received your book yet, you can do so in the Inspirations Bookstore immediately after our service. It's a short book, fast read, you will love it. This first week, this past Tuesday, the author talks about in one of the devotions how one spring he looked out and saw different birds building nests. He mentions a red-tailed hawk, an American crow, just all sorts of birds flying by with pieces of straw with branches. They would pour so much effort into constructing a nest. And as he admired the beauty of their work, he began to think about the analogy of nests that we tend to use in society. Birds build nests. We build nests. But our notion of building nests is often used as a metaphor to describe people successfully providing for their own comforts. You know how it goes. If someone arrives at a 
career position of some ease and, or maybe finally buys their dream home. They find this sense of security. Then all of her friends say, oh, you've built quite a nest for yourself, haven't you? The word nest in our minds often connotes shelter. Robert Schnazy says coziness, home-like, being comfortable. You see, but for birds, their nests are a, a little different. The nests which birds build are not for the birds who actually build them. No, they are for the young, the next generation, the future of the species. Schnazy says that the hours of carrying straw, sticks, and mud, the days of defensive watchfulness, the weeks of endless feeding are all for the benefit of the new ones, the young. See, when birds build their nests, they are creating a good foundation, not just for the present, but for the future. Is that what we do? We build nests for ourselves, but we do it for our own comforts. Let's be real. Robert Schnazy says this, that we do it in our own lives, and we actually do it in our churches. Too often we want a building, or we want a specific ministry for our own comforts and our own coziness. Too often we are not thinking about a good foundation for the people who could potentially come in the doors. We just want to be comfortable right now. And so we want to give what we want, our own comforts, rather than giving to God's vision. It's amazing that even the birds are a better example of extravagant generosity than some of us. When we lived at my grandmother's house growing up, I was always amazed at how my abuelita would get up at 5 a.m., go to work, work till 2 o'clock. On the way home from work, she would pick up my cousins from school, bring them to the house, and then, not even taking her work clothes off, still in her scrubs, she would start supper. And then when supper was ready, there was always enough food for at least 15 to 20 people every night. That's a lot of beans and rice. <laughs> now, to be fair, there were eight of us living in the house. My grandparents, my mother and I, my aunt and my cousin, and two uncles. Eight people in a house, one bathroom. But at dinner time, there were always people eating who I did not know. They weren't family members, they weren't neighbors. And I remember asking my grandmother, you know, who was that, who were those people? And she would always say, I don't know, friends of your tios, de la calle, she would say, from the streets. But here's my grandmother. I mean, we're all, we're not well off at all. We're relatively poor, we're trusting God day by day. And here she is making dinner for the family and a bunch of strangers all throughout the week for her. Extravagant generosity was about giving her heart, giving what limited resources we had so that whomever came through the door at dinner time, they would be fed. And through her heartfelt work, she is creating a good foundation for the future. This past Friday night while I was driving in my car, I happened to be scanning through the radio stations and I stopped on KPFT 90.1 radio. Never listened to it on a Friday night. But what my ears heard amazed me. You see, on Friday night, some of you may know this, I did not know this, a program called The Prison Show airs and has been airing since 1980. The host discussed criminal justice issues for the first half of the show, but I had already missed the first half, but I did have an opportunity to catch the second half. And the second half of the show is nothing like the first half. In the second half of the show, there are people calling in 
but not to ask questions, not to discuss political issues, no. The calls are from inmates' family members who are calling in to give words of encouragement to their loved ones in prison. You have fathers, you have mothers, you have siblings, you have friends all calling in and speaking on the air while their incarcerated loved ones are listening in one of the many prison units here in Texas. There was a grandmother calling in from her nursing home, telling her grandson that she loved him, but she was apologetic. She was, uh, she was sorry, in some sense, for not being able to travel and visit him. She's crying on the phone, feeling guilty because she wants to see him, but she's bedridden in the nursing home. Some of the sweetest and saddest calls I heard while driving. You had mothers calling in, telling their kids, mijo, just hang in there. Day by day, you're going to get your parole. But the saddest of them all were from little kids. Kids on the phone lines, telling their dads how the first few weeks of school are going. Telling their father, dad, I made this card for you in class. Mother's going to send it in when she sends a letter. I'm praying for you and hoping that you can come out so you can come and see the new school I'm going to. It just broke my heart. I had to pull over to the side of the road. Now, I don't cry in public. And for me, crying in the car is crying in public. Maybe it's my machismo. Maybe it's the way I was raised. Maybe I'm just the ugliest crier you will ever see. But whatever the case, I just don't do it in public. Well, after the show, I, by way of the phone, I wanted to find a little bit more about the show because I'd never heard about it. And lo and behold, I found out that the show was started by someone we may all know, gay activist Ray Hill. Back in the day, 70s and 80s, when police were in Houston raiding gay and lesbian bars, Ray Hill was on the front lines like so many others, speaking out and fighting against the persecution. And after doing time for robbery himself, he hosted a radio show that would later become known as Today's Queer Voices. But here's a man that not only gives his heart to defend the queer community, but gives his heart to fighting and advocating for the incarcerated and prison reform. Imagine that, a person who gives so generously in his life. It is his very call. He creates a radio show where he hosts and, and inmates and their loved ones can maintain, maintain a strong connection over the radio airwaves. His generosity has for many years, and it still is, laying a good foundation for the future. For the future. And today there are different hosts, but Ray, Ray Hill is still active, very much so, in our community. Our landscape and facilities volunteers yesterday were here for a work day. How many of you were here for that? A few hands, absolutely. Well, these folks were here. They were cleaning up the clothes closet. They were organizing the food pantry that helps so many in our community. They were trimming branches. They were planting all types of seeds of love all over this campus. They gave up a Saturday morning to make this place a little more beautiful, not just for the present, but for the future. And like so many of our volunteers, many of whom are in this service, they give so extravagantly. They open up and they give their hearts, not for their own comforts, but for God and for God's people. You see, extravagant generosity is not only about money, but let's be clear. Extravagant generosity does include money indeed. 
out of all of the seeds that our landscape and facilities volunteers might have planted yesterday, I'm pretty sure that not one of them was a money tree, correct? Absolutely not. But thank God we don't need a money tree when we've got God's people here in this room. Thank God we don't need a money tree and we don't place our hope in money trees. We place our hope in the one who is our great provider. We place our hope in the one who moves us to open our hearts to give, not for our own comforts, but for the foundation of our future. And people of God, we thank Spirit for joy. Joy comes not just from material items, but from the Holy One. Thank God that we can give joyfully, with a smile, without fear of running out of our own divine supply. With God, there is always more than enough. And thank God that we don't simply give because we have to. We give extravagantly. Why? Because God gives so extravagantly to us. May we always give from the heart. Remember, in God's world, in God's presence, there is always abundance. Amen. Thank you.